the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, right? None of us have done anything to deserve God's favor, but because of His own purpose and His grace. God initiated it. God sought us. God bought us with the redeeming blood of His Son. And He adds in verse 9, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Do you realize that there is nothing you can do within your own power to receive the grace and favor of the Lord? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you that grace is a free, unmerited favor given to you by God. There is nothing that you can do to earn or achieve His grace. This is a gift that's been given to you by God. Pastor Gary encourages you to receive this gift of grace Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Don't put off receiving the favor that God has in store for you today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So, If it's the Holy Spirit in general or a particular gift, the exhortation here is whatever's dormant, Timothy, and this might be true for some of us, fan it into flame. Blow on those embers and get that flame roaring again, Paul says, because I laid hands on you and I I remember how on fire you were, and right now there just seems to be the glow of the embers but I'm calling you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There sometimes can be a fire that burns in our belly when we first get saved. And then life takes its toll and the world starts to pull us in its direction and we can kind of grow lazy in our walk with Christ and all of a sudden what used to be on fire is now just glowing embers. And so this exhortation might apply to some of us here tonight. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, King James, New King James, a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of power, there's that dunamis word, power, and of love, and self-discipline. Again, King James, New King James says, instead of self-discipline, says sound mind. The Greek word is... Uh, Sophronismos, and it can mean a calm, disciplined mind. And so that contrasts verse 
6, the first part of verse 7 contrasts with the last part of verse 7. He says, you know, we're not to walk around in fear or timidity. We're to have the power of the Holy Spirit and love is the evidence of that power of the Holy Spirit and self-discipline like a, like a, just a calm, disciplined mind. That's a great verse. If you ever are wrestling with fear, anxiety, I quoted this a couple of Sundays ago when we talked in Isaiah about don't be afraid. This is a great verse to underline or highlight in your Bibles that God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. So verse 8, here's the second Here's the second directive. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. So that's the second directive that he says here. Do not be ashamed. And again, the inference is, the inference is that, he's, that he's ashamed. You know, Paul's not going to exhort him about something that doesn't apply. So the indication to us is that Timothy is wrestling with being ashamed a little bit, embarrassed a little bit. Now, you know, let's not point fingers at Timothy, even though he, he's a pastor in Ephesus here. All of us can wrestle with this. But understand particularly why Timothy may have wrestled with this. He's getting a letter from a guy who's in prison, being persecuted, and soon to be executed for his faith. You're living in first century Rome under the persecution of Emperor Nero, you aren't going to be probably as bold and courageous about your faith because you know you might end up in prison too or worse, executed as well. Now, this is very challenging for us because here we are, first century, comfort of Loudoun County in the good old United States of America, and nobody really being persecuted for his or her faith. And Paul says to Timothy, because Timothy's living in a day when you're being killed for your faith, I don't want you to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. And if Timothy is being exhorted in first century, where his very life is potentially in danger, what business do we have being ashamed of the gospel? What business do we have? And Paul, Paul will write on this word ashamed five times in four chapters here. Five times. Now, we, we just read the word twice right here in verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner. I'll point out the other ones. Jump further down to verse 18. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Ornesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Also in verse chapter 2, verse 13. Also verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16, and chapter 1, verse 12. Okay, I skipped verse 12, sorry. In verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because uh, I know whom I have believed. And then in verse 16, and then also in chapter 2, and verse 15 in chapter 2, where he says, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. So five times, I just confused you. So twice in verse 8 of chapter 1, once in verse 12, once in verse 16, and then once in chapter 2, verse 15. So five times he harps on this, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed. And this is important for us to take to heart, because why should we be ashamed? And Paul will 
emphasized this also in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Is this challenging to any of us? You know, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen in Timothy's day? His head could be cut off. What's the worst thing that could happen in our day? Your friends won't like you. They'll unfriend you. That's so harsh, right? Do we need sometimes some perspective? I mean, what, what is holding you back from being bold and courageous about your faith? Because your life's not in danger. So when I see Paul challenging us today because of the way he's challenging Timothy, I mean, this, this just hits me hard. Does it hit anyone else as hard? Just like, why, why, why are we timid about this? You know, I, I was, a while, a while ago, this was actually a few years ago, I was sitting in a barber's chair getting a haircut, and the guy, and I'd never been to this guy before, and he's cutting my hair, and, you know, he, and I'm just sitting in his chair, and he's just cutting away. And as he's, and as he's, and as he's cutting my hair, you know, he's, he's, he's just cussing. I mean, he's just being who he is, right? He's just cussing up a storm, you know, every other word. Just, you know, he's just like, just talking, and he's just cutting my hair. And then after he's, you know, dropped the F-bombs and, and a whole bunch of other words just in conversation, then he goes, so what do you do? And at the moment, you know, honestly, I wasn't ashamed of Jesus Christ, but I thought if, if I tell him what I do, he's going to feel embarrassed. He's going to feel embarrassed. So, you know, because he's just been dropping all these words. So I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And he goes, no crap, but it wasn't crap. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm a Christian too. You ever gotten in those conversations where you're like, okay, you know, how's this going to come across? And, and, you know, and so I, I understand because, you know, Jesus, just the word Jesus can be a lightning rod now. And, and you start talking about Jesus, you will either have revival or you'll have a riot. You know, where you work, you start throwing around the name Jesus and you're going to get a memo from somebody. You know, this offends me. You know, you're not protecting my space. You know, I don't... I really don't prefer, you, you know, you bring religion into the workplace. And so, you know, if you could just please be mindful that we also observe and appreciate Hare Krishna and, and other forms of religious expression. And can't we all get along and, you know, and put on the bumper stickers on our cars that show that we're all just one faith with all the symbols that are mixed together. <laughs> so that we're all just... And so it's just like, you know, do you even want to tread into that and just, and it just becomes like painful, okay? And, and yet, and yet, read what Paul's saying here. The guy's in prison, he's about ready to be executed, and he says to Timothy, I know a bunch of Christians are being killed, but I don't want you to be ashamed about testifying about our Lord. And I don't want you to be ashamed about, you know, being associated with me as a prisoner either. You know, how quick are we to like cozy up to if we run into contact with some celebrity or some superstar, you know, just like, did you see who I just ran into at the mall? Let me show you my picture here. Who I just, uh, could you believe this? I took a facey with this, you know, and so we're like, oh, wow, I want to be a, a selfie, sorry, selfie, <laughs> facey. That's, that's really what it should be called. It's a facey because that's all it is, you know. It's your face and this person's face, and it, but... 
but then, but you know, God forbid you should be associated with like Jesus, you know, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to know I'm associated with Jesus, you know, and that, I don't want to have any picture of him on my cell phone, but it's just, this is just challenging to me, like this is, this is the world in which Timothy is living, and Paul's saying, don't be ashamed, in fact, now look on to the next part of verse 8, because this is directive number 3, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That's number three on our list. Join in suffering for the gospel. And he's going to use the word suffering four times. And I won't read each time, but I'll give you the reference. Right here in verse 8, further down in verse 12, Chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 3, 11. I'll say them again for you note-takers. Right here, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 1, 12, chapter 2, 9, and chapter 3, 11. He's going to talk about suffering through this letter. And again, it's kind of foreign to us because we just, we don't really understand what suffering is all about. How many of you have either heard of or have in your possession Fox's Book of Martyrs? I would encourage you to, to pick up this book. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. You can get everything on Amazon these days because this gives a healthy perspective of this, this book. Now, this, I got this book probably 10 years ago, and uh, this, this actually was an edition put out by Voice of the Martyrs that documented not all but many martyrs from 33 A.D. to today. This whole book is just like one paragraph or two paragraphs on various people who have been martyred. And we're not talking like, you know, they were, you know, left in a prison somewhere to starve. Uh, we're, we're talking about people, I'm just going to, I just threw in some tabs here to give you some examples. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch, he was a Christian who uh, lived A.D. 30 to around A.D. 107. He was torn to pieces by wild beasts. They fed him to beasts. That's how he was martyred. I'm just going to give you a couple here. I mean, this whole book is, um, this is an old sketch. I know you can't see it, but this is an old sketch um, about William Tyndale, who was burned at the stake. Why? For translating the Bible into the English language. William Tyndale, burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. John Bradford, burned at the stake. John Bradford... 1510 to 1555. This whole book just brings it all up to date. Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer in the 1500s, they were burned together in one fire at the stake. Edmund Campion was hanged, drawn, and quartered. And, and this, is, this is when they will tie all four of your limbs to four different horses and then send the horses in different directions. Theophane Venard, imprisoned and beheaded in Tonkin, which is Vietnam, all the way up to, you know, more current people. Gorbendordi Turani, November 22, 2005, was knifed by Muslims in Iran, all for, all for their faith. I mean, this entire book is just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, now multiple tens of thousands of people who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So, 
Again, it's, it's perspective. It's easy for us to read this verse and say, oh yeah, join me in suffering. But when, he, when Paul's talking about suffering in first century, he, he means suffering. He means like, Timothy, if your life is required of you, like mine probably is going to be, for the cause of the gospel, so be it. Because God, verse 9 again, because God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, right? None of us have done anything to deserve God's favor, but because of His own purpose and His grace. God initiated it. God sought us. God bought us with the redeeming blood of His Son. And he adds in verse 9, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. Now, remember, God is outside the time-space continuum. So, God inserted time into the universe to bring definition and arrangement to our world. But God is not restricted by time. He's outside of time. And the Bible speaks in, in these terms in other places as well. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, For he, the Lord, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How were we chosen before the creation of the world? In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, it talks about, John says that the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. So wait, Jesus was crucified. I thought he was crucified around 32 AD. What do you, what do you mean, John, in Revelation 13, 8, that he was crucified from the creation of the world? What does it mean in Ephesians 1 that we were chosen in him before the creation of the world? What does it mean here that we have received his grace before the beginning of time? Because God is not restricted by time and his purposes are outside of time. So God put in motion a purpose and plan to redeem us even before the beginning of our calculated time. This is not also that far-fetched because in 1 John, it tells us in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness. Einstein said that if we could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, Einstein said if we could travel at the speed of light, time ceases to be. God is light. If we could travel at the speed of light, time ceases to be. At least he understood what that is. But it's the concept that God is light. God is outside of time. God is not restricted. This is a, a, a bit challenging to grasp in our minds. Those of you who are really smart with quantum physics and all this kind of stuff, you, you probably grasp this far better than I do. But when you piece together the elements of Scripture which, which talk about what I just quoted, that we're chosen in him before the creation of the world, Jesus was slain at the creation of the world, his grace is given to us before the beginning of time, that because God is outside of time and space, it is believed, I won't be surprised by this, that when you die, if you're a Christian and you go to heaven, even if your loved one died 50 years before you, that at the time you enter heaven, it will be simultaneous with your loved one. That there will be no distinction. Nobody in heaven is going to be, wow, this took a long time for you to get here. It's, it's as if things are happening at the rapid speed of light outside of time and space. And so we transcend something. I know this is getting like, woo, but there seems to be this, 
this, this reality that is beyond our comprehension because we are limited within time and space. God is outside of time and space. And when you read this kind of language and, and you put together God is light and Einstein, and what is, you know, all of this begins to make us aware of the fact that there's, there's a greater dynamic and dimension to life than just here and now within the confines of time. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, verse 10, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, okay, not, not that none of us no longer die, but that the stronghold of death, we die, we, our body goes back to dust, but our spirit goes to be with the Lord, so he destroyed the power of death and has brought life and immortality, because that's what we have in the Lord, We go to be with Him forever. Life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, one who proclaims, and an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. There he uses that word again, suffering. Yet I am not ashamed, there's that word again, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he, that's the whom, Jesus, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day, that day being the day that I stand before him. Now, please notice, he, he doesn't say there in verse 12, I know what I have believed. He says, I know whom I have believed. It is important to know the who, because you have to know the who in order to know the what. And if you don't know the who, you won't get the what right. There are a lot of people who know what, but they don't know who, and therefore what is wrong. There are a lot of Mormons who will say to you, I know what, but they don't know who. Because Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. That's not who. So now the what is an error, because the who is an error. You understand how this works? When Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door and they talk about Jesus, well, to them, Jesus is the archangel Michael. So they don't know the who, so therefore the what is an error. You understand? So Paul is saying the foundation of knowing what is first knowing whom I have believed. I know the Lord, I know who he is, therefore I know the what. But he adds the what in the next verse, verse 13. Because here comes another directive to Timothy. What you heard from me, that's the what part, the doctrine that flows from knowing the who, Jesus. What you heard from me, here's the fourth directive, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So that's the fourth thing on the list. Keep the pattern of sound teaching. Don't go off into error. Make sure that you understand what is true doctrine because you know the truth of God's Word. Get in your Bibles, read your Bibles, learn them, grow in your knowledge of Scripture. Keep that pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, here's the last directive. Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He's talking about, you know, your faith. Just guard it, protect it. It should be a cherished thing. And, and protect and guard with the help of the Holy Spirit. Again, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're not alone in this guarding. God helps us to guard our faith. And he says in verse uh, 13, uh, 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. How sad is that? Including, and he, and he calls out two guys, uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. This is the only time they're mentioned in all the Bible. We don't know anything else about these guys, but how would you like to have your name in the Bible only for the purpose of describing how unfaithful that you are? So that's their lasting legacy, those two guys. 
And Paul says in verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. He'll mention him again at the end, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. We don't know anything else about this guy either, but he commends him. He says, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You've been listening to a teaching from a series in the book of 2 Timothy. In this letter from Paul to Timothy, the older missionary mentions how he has accomplished what he set out to do as a prisoner for Christ. There's contentment, even in uncertain and dire circumstances, that what he'd done to further Christ's message was enough. Paul wanted Timothy to hear these words to comfort and give Timothy a boldness to be able to proclaim the same message. Could you speak a similar message to those you're around? That what you've done for Christ would be pleasing to God? What would people say about your testimony at the end of your life? 2 Timothy is a great example of how Paul finished his life well according to God's standards. We encourage you to keep reading in 2 Timothy for more great insights from Paul to Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. Join us again next time for more in 2 Timothy, here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.